0: me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, and thank you to uh, the homeschool band and uh, orchestra. What what a wonderful addition uh, this week to our Worship service, and uh, we thank you. All glory goes to to God. Uh, but it is a joy to see these families in and out uh, during the week here for rehearsal and so on. And we appreciate your investment in uh, your children. If you are visiting with us, either for that reason or uh, for another reason, we um, typically go straight through books of the Bible. Here. And we have been in the book of Acts for some time. We're calling this series The Empowered Church uh, because it's, it's not just the story of the planting of a church or even the planting of a great church, but it is a story of the work of God's Spirit unleashed among His people and what takes place uh, when that happens. Um, this week I was at a, a meeting in Dillon and uh, it was my first venture to, to Dillon. You shouldn't laugh, uh, Dillon is a fine town and uh, there were people there, you, you, you can la- I mean it's okay, I'm not rebuking you for laughing But uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's got a a Presbyterian Church in America church there. And at that meeting, there were uh, pastors and elders from uh, Columbia and some from the coast and uh, places like Orangeburg. But there were also pastors from towns not unlike Dillon, Kingstree. Alkaloo, Ridgeway, St. Matthews, Manning, Shira, Sardinia. Now, those, uh, they were there because there are churches in those towns. And what we uh, sometimes forget when you drive through one of these small towns and I know many of you are from some of those towns that I mentioned. You drive through these small towns and you see a a church there. Some of the towns are beyond their peak in terms of uh, uh, the days when the most people lived there. But at some point in that church's life, in that town's life, believers gathered together. And they said, we want to worship together. Somebody planted that church there. Somebody nurtured it. And from whatever that date was, whether it was in the 1800s or before that, or the, sometime in the 1900s, somebody has faithfully preached the Word of God from the pulpit of that church. It's something to remember. It is a, a valuable and essential ministry that is done there. And we, we should never um, think it less than those that are laboring in large churches in high-profile places, but appreciate what God is doing among faithful believers in those places. Well, today we're going to see a little bit of a church planting movement too with uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're we're really on what what is often called his first missionary journey. And here's basically, uh, you you have to look up into the front on the map, on the front wall. I'm going to describe the map to you. At the top of those pipes over there, you see Pisidian Antioch. Now, we could have done this high-tech, but it wouldn't have been near as interesting just to pull that down. And Okay, so we got Pisidian Antioch over there. And then go over to about the middle of the next pipes there, and you have Iconium right in the middle. And then straight below Iconium, you have Lystra. And then go over to this vent over here, which, of course, is Derby, as you can tell. Now, he started over there. And what we're going to do with this passage, because it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of verses there, every single verse, every word, and every verse is important. But rather than read it all at once and then go back and, and reread it, I'm going to read sections and then we're, we're going to talk about them. But uh, these are churches that were being planted. Uh, by the apostle now we we read back in uh, chapter 13 verse 49 and this is where they had been in Pisidian Antioch and we actually talked about this more last week but just as a reminder it says verse 49 of Acts 13 and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region that's what's going on here up on the front wall the word is spreading through the whole region But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them uh, and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this was last week what we talked about. Uh, They had opposition from some of the Jewish leaders there, and with that opposition, as they left, somehow they were able to do it with joy, because as we talked about, that was their calling. They They had been faithful in preaching the Word of God. They had been persecuted for it. Not everyone had come to Christ But they were able to have joy because as they left, they knew they were doing what God wanted them to do. And they had the memory of of, uh, some of the Gentiles rejoicing and many of the Jews. Uh, The Jews who had one week heard Paul speak, they'd said, you got anything to share? He stood up and preached this this, uh, amazing sermon. And then they said, will you come back next week? And he did so, and the synagogue was packed full of Jews and Gentiles. And so that's what had gone on uh, over in Pisidian Antioch up there. Now, uh, they, they moved down to Iconium, and this is what uh, uh, is taking place there, beginning in chapter 14, the first verse. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, that was what they had done in uh, Pisidian Antioch. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So evidently Greeks went into the synagogue to hear whatever message they were preaching. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Remember, signs and wonders. In in the book of Acts, those were there affirming this new revelation, proving this is is coming from God. That's why there were signs and wonders. They didn't have the Bible at this point. It was affirming what was was coming from God. Verse 4, but the people... Of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so here's Here's what's going on. They go down to Iconium, the middle of uh, that second group of pipes there, uh, to Iconium. And that was an ancient city in the part of the world that we, we now know as Turkey. So that gives you an idea where it is. Uh, that was also what in this day they would have called Galatia. So if you go to modern-day Turkey, you are in the area called Galatia. And in fact, uh, this city was uh, probably one of the cities that the book of Galatians was was sent to. Uh, The the letter was sent to one city and then it went to other cities. That's how uh, the book of Galatians was written. Now, it was surrounded by mountains, sheep, goats. They raised wool. Uh, Government officials were the supreme authority. If someone was even suspected of a crime, they could be arrested and uh, tortured or jailed or uh, whatever, without a trial. This was the Wild West, only worse. The Wild West out of control. But Paul and Barnabas were used by God here. Jews and Greeks alike came to know Christ. But like in most places where they went, when they would preach the gospel, there was no neutral response. Either people believed and rejoiced, or they said, we got to get rid of them. we got to stamp this out. This is dangerous. And that's what happened here as well. Uh, those who didn't put their faith in Christ their response was not just, oh, well, if they want to believe that, that's okay. They decided to stone them. We've got to kill them. They heard about that, and uh, they left knowing that they would probably be killed if they stayed where they were. So they moved on to the bottom of the pipes, Lystra. Um, by the way, this is, we're going somewhere here, you know, after, after we see what they did in these cities, there's some, some important lessons for us. So uh, Lystra, beginning with verse 8, this is what took place. And this is a whole different kind of city from Iconium. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Paul looked intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Remember when we talked about uh, miracles uh, and healings, biblical miracles and healing, the the characteristics of them, and we see this in the book of Acts. It's by a, a word or a touch, but it's also instantaneous. We see that right here. He didn't say, okay, stretch out. It's going to be hard. You've never walked before. You know, you've, you've, been there, you've been there a long time. You can't use your feet. It says he sprang up and began walking, instantaneous. When it's from God in the Scripture, that's what we see. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian... The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. You see what's going on? They do a miracle. This is such a pagan place. It's not a Jewish, they, were, they didn't go to the synagogue. It's such a pagan place that they say, okay, they must be gods. And even the, the, the pagan priest brings oxen and wants to sacrifice them to him. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. It was their way of showing grief, disgust, and rushed out into the crowd saying, Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now, here's the picture. I, I told you that, that Lystra down here is a whole different kind of city from Iconium. It was, it was highly educated, famous for its advanced education, advanced learning. This was... For this area, this was like Boston. If you ever go to Boston, they won't, uh, they won't ask you what you, you do for a living. They may ask you that at some point. But what's important to them is, where'd you go to school? That's, that's the identity. That's what this city is like. There couldn't have been a very big Jewish population. They, did, they didn't even build a synagogue. These people worship the God of the Romans. Now, there was an old legend that said at at some point, two gods centuries earlier had come and visited their city. Those gods' names were Hermes and Zeus. And the legend went, and they're going to come back someday and visit us again. So, enter Paul and Barnabas, they begin preaching, and then... He heals a man lame from birth. So immediately, they begin to think, okay, Hermes, Hermes and Zeus are among us. So they bring sacrifices to these two Christian missionaries. They're bringing sacrifices and they say, no, stop, don't do that. And then they tell them several things. Now, remember what they did in in previous situations to connect with with the people in the Jewish synagogues. They would go back and they would talk about history and they would talk about the Old Testament and they would talk about things that had happened in the past. These people, that wouldn't have done any good here. They would have said, what are you talking about? we're We're not Jewish. We don't know anything about... The, you know, those, the, the Word of God or anything like that. We don't memorize Scripture. So that's not where he went. They got the connecting point with these people. There's a lesson for us too. Understanding who you're talking to. The connecting point for them because they didn't, they didn't point to the Old Testament, they wouldn't have known the Old Testament, their point of contact was, there is a God. And look around. He's the one that made all this. And you know, this, this rain that we were complaining about this morning maybe, but there they wouldn't have been complaining. You know what? He, he's the one that causes rain to happen and sunshine and crops to grow and things like that. And you've benefited from that. I want to tell you about Him. And so they did. And they said, look, this God has basically given man a choice, but He set parameters. In the past, He's shown grace. He's even let you go your own way, and, and in spite of evil, provided good and blessing for you. Look at what took place. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch, So they're following him. That's how upset they are. Jews Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. People continued to worship. They turned the worship away. They could have been riding high on public opinion. But instead, everything turns and they pick up stones. And we're not talking little stones. Stones that will kill you. And they threw, threw them at, uh, at Paul, hit him, until, uh, you know, then they drag him outside the city, and they looked at him and said, they pronounced him dead, basically. He's gone. He won't be any more trouble to us. What then? Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. Now, what happened here? We don't know. It just says he rose up. Whether he was healed, whether he was raised, whether he was revived, we know he rose up and entered the city. That's pretty gutsy, you got to admit. <laughs> he, that's not the direction I would have gone if I had been stoned. I wouldn't have said, okay, I'm going back in, you know. It would have been the other, other way around. He entered the city, verse 20, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Okay? We're going from over here to the vent. Now, you may not realize that, but that's 60 miles. So here is the guy that was left for dead. He gets up, walks back into the city, and then the next day he said, okay, it's off to Derby, let's go. And he begins a 60-mile hike. I don't know if you complained about the rain today. <laughs> How inconvenient it was! Now I realize you're here, so I'm not rebuking you. You you came through the rain, but I was convicted by this this morning in my office when I was rereading this passage. And I had I had parked where I always parked down at the uh, end of the parking lot, and I walked up here. It was it was barely light. It's raining. I didn't have an umbrella or anything, I said, oh, this is crummy. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, oh, that's going to kill our crowd today, you know, because I know, if I'm thinking it's crummy and I'm the pastor, you know, <laughs> I mean, I have to go through the rain. But I know there's some people said, oh, man, let's just sleep in. And this was so humbling to read this this morning. And I asked God the next time I'm feeling inconvenienced for the Lord, for Him to bring this to my mind. I hope He does to yours too, sorry, but I hope He does. Inconvenience for the Lord, really? Is it a bother? for the Lord. So he goes off on this trek, And it says, and they had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Um, That's fascinating to me that it says they had made many disciples, because that's what we're about here, is making disciples. And the one thing I can tell you, I, I don't know much about it, but the one thing I can tell you is it takes time. It takes time to make disciples. And this says they had made them, so they had spent time there. Now, let's look quickly at the, you know, what they, what they del- dealt with here. So what happened was, so then they went from the vent, you know, they, they retraced their steps. Okay? That's what took place first thing we, we've got to see is, and, and I've just been talking about this, is they persevered. Verse 7. They continued to preach the gospel. Chapter 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. And they went back in. Okay, we, we, We've talked about that. That's perseverance. And we want... Things to take place immediately. And you know, I get it. I get that. Because I, I'm the same way. I don't have patience for God working in my own life. I'm, this, this week, I came to a conclusion. I think I'm going to have to redo my front yard. I hate that. Sorry, but I hate that, okay? Children hate is not a good word, all right? But I've, I've been watching my front yard, and it's been a, one, a nice front yard, and I'm not prideful about my yard. I don't want to win the yard of the month, because then your neighbors resent you, or, you know, so there's, it's not ambition. I, I do like, though, for my yard to be green. I've been watching it, and I have centipede and it's not coming back, and I didn't do anything, you know, I, I, it's, I've got slugs or something, you know, something happened over the winter, and while my, my neighbor's yards are greening up, and I'm, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, I, you know, mine's usually, and I'm looking down, it's patchy, and it's just ugly, now, I've got some choices here, because I've, I've done this before. Here's my choices. I can, you know, I can seed. Now, here's the problem with centipede seed. Giving you a little gardening lesson here, yard lesson. Um, Here's what they say. It, uh, It takes three years to establish it because the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, and then what's the third year? It leaps. Okay, some of you have been, been to the same garden place I've been to, okay? So then it starts covering by the third year. But I'm thinking, that's three years down the line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look at this every single day when I leave, when I come back. I can't do that. Now, the other option is sod. Put down some sod. And that's probably that's not probably what I'll do. If I have to redo it, that's, that's the way I will do it. I think I've coined a word. I call that instant grassification, okay? <laughs> but the reason I, you know, that's so good is that it looks bad one day, and then you dig it all up and you put it down, and other than it, you seen the squares and so on, it looks pretty good the next day. And that's how we, that's how... I am, and I think in our day that's how we tend to be. Here we see a perseverance, and that's the way we need to be in the kingdom. I'm okay if you go for the turf in your yard, okay? Because that's what I'm gonna go for. But we can't have instant disciples, we can't make instant churches, because instant churches will dissolve too instantly. Or they can, and so do instant disciples. Here's what we see. I, I, my, my doctoral dissertation was on the impact of the long-term pastorate, and I interviewed a number of pastors who had been in the same church. I defined long-term 20 years and up. That is, in our day, a long-term pastorate. And I learned so much from those who had had been through all that. One of those I interviewed had, at the time, pastored the same church for 42 and a half years. What an example of somebody. Because you know what? You can't pastor a church for even 20 years and have it all go good. That means you've persevered, that means you've made it through hard times and probably some good times but also some very hard times. And, and you've, you've kept on. And they do it because that, that God wants them to. This week at that meeting I was at, we had one of, one of our missionaries, Chuck Parker, who is in South Sudan. He is working in an area that he described as Stone Age. And uh, by his description, other than the fact that everyone in the villages but him has AK-47s, it sounds like Stone Age. But he goes from village to village. And he said that he was at a meeting in South Sudan, and they were finding out where they all worked. And he told somebody who had been there for a long time about what region he was working in. And they said, oh, that, that is such a hard region We have had people working there for 50 years and we don't have a church there yet. And yet, they're doing the right thing. That's perseverance, folks. But that's what it's called, that's what the kingdom calls us for. Having a sense of calling that we will do what He wants us to do whether we see the instant gratification we want or not. We will do it. We will remain faithful by your grace. There's a, another thing we see here. They refuse to let personal ambition get in their way. Remember in uh, Lystra, Barnabas and Paul, they were calling them Zeus and Hermes. They they're wanting to present sacrifices to them, and they said, no, we will not. I mean, they could have accepted that, <laughs> and they could have... Probably lived like gods if they wanted to. And they said, No, we're not. We won't do that. We won't betray the true and the living God. Let us tell you about Him. They focused on God and His glory, and the thought of them being worshiped made them tear their garments. It upset them so badly. You know, I mentioned those those churches uh, in the little towns here in South Carolina. I have to tell you, some of those pastors are my heroes. Guys who will labor in places where they, you know, they'll never be speaking on a circuit. They 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 aren't doing podcasts. They're not getting famous. They're not getting rich they are following God's calling and doing what He wants them to do. And to do that, you've got to set aside personal ambition. And then we see, by the way, that, that, that goes certainly here as well in terms of who gets credit for things, If anything is going on that is good at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, may we we not say it's because we've got it together or because we're doing such good things. May we always point to God. If anything good is going on here, it's because of His blessing. And, And we've got to always start there. Now, do we need to be obedient? Do we need to... Be faithful. Absolutely, all those things are absolutely necessary. But if anything good happens here, it's it's only His blessing, and we've got to let everyone know that we we know that we're convinced of that here. And then, as as I mentioned, they went went back through these churches. They saw the need for reinforcement and encouragement of others. Um, you know, when they got to Derby, it would have actually been quicker to go straight across back to um, and not go the circuitous route. But they, they saw the need to go back and encourage. Their way of doing things was they would plant a church, and they would establish it the best they could, and then they would move on, and then they would come back, and they would Uh, uh, make sure there were elders and leaders there and they would encourage and they would teach them again. I spoke with a church planter and he had some real discouragement Um, And because here's what can happen with with planting a church. He felt like he had hit a wall and that's not untypical. What can happen is you get a core group together and let's say you have a you know, a number of people to say, yeah, I want to start a new church. And then the first week you're going to start the church, you let all the other churches, you know, in your denomination the area know, and so they'll send people there. And so the first week you might have 100, 150 people. And here's the temptation of the, the poor church planter. He looks out there and he's got a room full of people. They're usually renting a room in a school or something like that. He's got a room full of people. And uh, you know, and then on Monday he starts thinking, you know, if, if we keep growing like this, well, next year we'll be up to 500, 800 people. You know, by the next year, we're going to be one of those. And then here's typically what happens. The next week, the church grows from 150 to 100, and then... The next week it goes down even more, and then by about the fourth or fifth week, it's settled down to really your true core group, and you've got like 40 people there, and that's including counting everything that's not mineral, okay, you know, animal, plants, you know, you count all them, but not minerals, you know. So you're counting everything, and you got 40 people, and it can be discouraging. Well, you know, Paul under, God understands this, and so He sent Paul and Barnabas back through to encourage, to reestablish, and to, to cause, enable them to move forward. And then they saw their need to get back to the base. Their base. Um, they went back. To where they had been sent out and were being prayed for. Verse 27. When they arrived and gathered the church together, here's what they did. They declared that all God, all that God had done with them, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. One of my sons was a a, a wrestler, and not a wrestler, a wrestler. Okay, and. Because one time when I I used that as an illustration and somebody went up to him and said, well, you stay in wrestling and you can make some good money. You know, they were thinking of the things on TV, but he was a wrestler. And one of the things his coaches would say to him when they're on the side of the mat is, get back to your base. Get back to your base. And what that meant is if they were getting off balance or they were out of kilter or something is to get back to their you know, where their hands and, and knees and feet, you know, back to there, because then you're solid and you can make a lot of moves from there. Get back to your base. Well, that's, that's what they were doing here is they went back to their base. The things they knew, the things that God was doing. When I was uh, called to be the pastor of this church, uh, Back in uh, 2006, I did something that I hadn't done for more than 30 years, and that is there's a book that I had kept in my library, but God had used that book in calling me to the ministry. He'd used a number of circumstances, but he also used a book by Catherine Marshall called A Man Called Peter. And it, it caused me to be praying in certain ways and so on. And when I was called to be the pastor here, I, I went and got that very book and I pulled it out and I reread it to be reminded of that, that, same, that same calling, what he had used in my life. You know, that's what Sunday nights with our discipleship night, D night. We are going through the Apostles' Creed. I was thinking of that as we were saying the Creed this morning. That's our base. Tonight we're talking about the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. That's our base. That's why we're studying it, to go back to our base. And that's, you know, even though we have this document called Vision 2017, that's our base. It's nothing new. It's straight from the Bible. It's what we believe. It's where we're headed. We always need to continually go back to our base. That's a key in perseverance. So, two things I want to leave you with. They they remembered their mission. Back in chapter 13, verse 2, it said, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They remembered their calling They refused to let anything distract them from it. They would not let persecution, they wouldn't let getting stoned, uh, they would not let uh, distances, they wouldn't let anything keep them from proceeding with their calling. But secondly, we need to know that in proceeding in this calling, it it wasn't torture for them. It was hard at times, but they had what they needed to carry out their mission with joy. 13.52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The man's name was Robert. He had a debilitating disease. He couldn't feed himself couldn't bathe himself. But even though he slurred his speech, he was able to graduate from college, even at one point taught a course. He took uh, five mission trips overseas. For each one, he had to have somebody on the trip that was willing to dress him and feed him and take care of all those things that he couldn't do for himself. And then they would take him to a park, and he would sit in the park and pass, pass out booklets. Over the course of six years, he led some 70 people to Christ, including Rosa, who's now his wife. He, he addressed an audience, and he said this. He, he, Robert raised up a, a hand that was crippled up, bent. And as he raised his hand, he said this. I have everything I need for joy. If you're in Christ Jesus trusting in Him alone for your eternal life. You have everything you need for joy to fulfill His calling in your life. May He apply that by His Spirit in each of our hearts. Let's bow together. Lord, we cannot possibly in the midst of hard times even conjure up joy if we do it's fake but in Christ Jesus you've given us everything we need will you enable us to follow you without wavering with perseverance by your grace by the power of your spirit we pray in Jesus name amen